Welcome back uh, to this extended kind of Kogan after hours, and it's a real treat for me. It was a real treat for me to spend the last few days curled up with a, a novel by an old friend of mine. The novel is called Mine, M-I-N-E, and the old friend is Charlie Madigan, more formerly known as Charles Martin Madigan. Uh, Charlie, is this your first novel? It's my first novel. It's my seventh book. Um, yeah, that, I, <laughs> that I sort of knew. You know, but what struck me about this in many things, not only is it a beautiful, compelling, uh, tense kind of uh, work, but you can work with someone for a long time and not know, much about, not know much about them. I had no idea of your familial roots in coal. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, my father, his father, and his father, too. Why is it that you didn't become a coal miner? Because I was smart enough not to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You're a real. Wait. You're a real genius. You got in the newspaper business. <laughs> That's exactly right. I found a coal mine on my own. No, I didn't. Yeah, I get it. No, I totally. I loved every minute of newspapering, and I can't say that my ancestors loved every minute of coal mining. Sure. Yeah. You 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 paint a. Uh, Vivid, vivid. I'm going to read some of the book on the air uh, and paint a vivid thing. One thing that strikes me, Charlie, is is you wrote in, and if you don't want to talk about this, it it, it was so intriguing to me. You wrote me in an email that that uh, you wrote this book after you died two years ago, then came back. This is not hyperbole. Could you explain that to me? Well, um, I had a. An immense heart attack, a record-breaking heart attack, and I was dead for eight minutes in the ambulance. Oh. And the emergency uh, people came and picked me up, and thank God I had the prescience to buy a house one block from St. Francis. Oh. And they took me to St. Francis Hospital, and doctors jumped all over me, and I came up. I, I came back. Wow! And I, I I didn't see anything while I was there, so, so yeah, I can't talk about being dead, but I know I was. So anyhow, but after that happened. I was very worried about what was left of me because I had been deprived of oxygen and I had some brain problems. Uh. And so I decided to do this book to prove I could still do it. And um, I was astounded at how compelling it was for me to write this. Let me ask you this. After after an event like that, uh, to jump into, jump in, I know you've written books before, but to jump into a novel uh Seems like really, to my mind, the the deep end of the pool. Was it difficult at first? Well, here's the here's the thing. I had researched coal mining disasters for years because of my family's experiences. Sure, sure. And I wanted to write a nonfiction book about that, and I did. And it was loaded with details about how to. I could find coal in my backyard if I could find it, but mm. I was. It was loaded with detail about. Um, how you actually mine coal, what the disasters are, what the risks are. And I started moving it around in the publishing world. Nobody had any interest in it at all. Yeah. And I was very upset about that. And then, then one of my agents said, uh, you should write this as fiction. And I said, okay. And, and trying to market a fiction book about coal mining is not the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> so I self-published I, I, Listen, I was committed to this story. So yeah. I, I self-published it. I wrote it and I self-published it. And I'm... I'm not going to be bragging about the results of it, but I like it. I've read this book oh, twice I, now, and I like it a lot. <laughs> you can you can brag about it. I think it's a remarkable, remarkable book that deserves a huge audience. Again, 
it's easy to look up, and it's a very I find it a very compelling cover too. The and title the title is Mine M I N E, and after mm-hmm. the break we take at uh, at a quarter to, I'm going to read just a small portion of it. Uh, mm-hmm. y- y- you you're. You create in this book, Charles Madigan, Charlie Madigan, a, a vivid and I would dare say, uh, to my mind, a little disturbing. I don't know the world of coal miners but or mines, but there is a kind of the shadows of cruelty and suffering uh and bravery that shadow the characters in this book. Am I am I being too poetic about it? No, I don't think so. I think that um, I think the scenario that I create is completely fictional. Yeah. Um, but but the reality of it is not. The details about how people died, exactly. how they were rescued, what happened to them—that's all real. My grandfather was the fire chief who went to the biggest mine disaster that ever happened in my family's life, and and saved countless numbers of people and took their bodies to the firehouse and bathed and shaved them so when their families came, they would be able to identify. I mean, that's where we're coming from with this book. And I can't tell you, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fool you. I didn't know anything about coal mining until I got way into it. And the best thing I did was buy a book by a guy named A.T. Shurek in 1924. He wrote a book called Coal Mining. And I read every word of it, and I couldn't put it down, and I mm. could visualize what was happening as I was doing it. So this this book is, I mean, it's it's fiction, of course, but there's a lot of fact in it. And what, what really amazed me about it is the further I got into the facts, the more I developed the fiction. It's a, it's an object lesson in why you need to do research. Well, do you think that? Do you think in many ways the facts didn't just form a, a foundation for your creativity? They might have, in a sense, fueled it. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I can tell you, I, you know, I I have sitting in front of me here, because I wanted to remind myself, about 200 pages, single lines of mine inspectors writing about the deaths of people killed in accidents Ugh. in Pennsylvania between 1912 and 1935. And this is where one of the ideas came from. Each of those pages has the name of an inspector on top of it. Mm. And that person had to go in and collect all that information and find out what happened and try to see if there are recommendations to repair the problems. But I just de- developed this sort of connection with these people, and then I realized I wanted to create them. I wanted to make them at the center of this story, and that's what you see. In writing for newspapers, as I have done for some time, and as you did brilliantly for uh, some time, too, Thank you. What's the difference? Well, you know what you know what a fan I am of your newspaper work, uh, and always have been. But what is the different kind of mindset that? Because I've I've started a couple, you know, failed novels over the years. Uh, what, what is the the different sort of mindset? Did you set yourself a daily word limit, for instance? Did you set yourself a kind of rigid uh, time clock to produce, you know, 1,100 words a day or something? No, I didn't. You know, I know some writers who do that. Yeah. And whooping for them, because I couldn't. I, I got so enmeshed in the narrative mm-hmm. and the facts that are connected to the narrative that I couldn't put it down. I, every day that I worked on it, I was happier about it. Oh. And it was not because of arrogance or anything. It was just because I had never done anything like that. Yeah. You know, we, you, you're a newspaper man. You know how it was. 
Yep. Our job is to basically take a bath in every fact you could collect and then put it in an organized format and deliver it so people could understand it. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that this is almost the same way. You just take a bath in every fact that you can imagine mm. and then create people from your imagination, and it comes mm. out not the same way, certainly, because there are very strict rules about how you do journalism. I found it was really liberating to not have those rules to deal with in fiction because you can create whatever you need to create to make it work. Well, one of the things you created in here, the characters in mine, M-I-N-E, are terribly compelling. I'm going to have you, uh, after after we take a short break, and this is, again, Charles Madigan. And again, you can find this anywhere in, online. Is it in bookstores yet, Charlie? I don't think it'll get in bookstores because they're in such competition with Amazon. Yeah, I, mean, I, I have to check yeah. around and see if I can do that. You know, yeah, it's th- basically an Amazon product now. So. Yeah, well, good. But they'll, I'm sure some bookstores will do it for you. There's still some very good independent ones around. Uh, I'm going to try. Yeah, you know? I, I, if I can be of any help, uh, do not do not hesitate. Oh, thank thank uh, you so much. Don't be silly. I'm going to have you. I'm going to read a little from it, not much, maybe a page. Uh, and some of the descriptive language about about uh, the landscape is really terrific. I'm not going to read that. I'm going to read something a little more disturbing. And then I would like you, because I don't want to give away any uh, or too much. This is a this is a mystery. Uh, the way what you call it is murder and mystery underground. It is that. The book is mine. The author is Charles Madigan. Uh, you remember that byline from the Tribune. There's no doubt about it. And that's a chilling thing. Another interesting thing, we have a bunch of mutual friends, and I never heard about your heart attack, and which makes me think I have the wrong kind of friends or something. That's no, 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 Rick. Don't, you know, it was like somebody advised me I should not babble about it so much, you know. Good. <laughs> it's like, it, well, had I known what it had. Had I known when it happened, I would have certainly gotten in touch. But I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're you're well. And if 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 the indication, oh, yeah. I don't know if you're out, you know, running or jogging or golfing or drinking or doing what. But if if the test of uh, recovery from a heart attack is in the pages of a book, uh, you have recovered uh, magnificently. We'll take a short break. I'll be back with. Uh, with Charles Madigan to talk about his first novel, Mine, M-I-N-E. Welcome back. I'm on the phone with my old pal and a person I greatly admire, Charlie Madigan, holding in my hands his first novel, maybe his eighth or ninth book. It is titled Mine, M-I-N-E. That should be very easy for you to find online. And my hope is that it starts appearing in uh, in your local bookstore. It's a murder and mystery underground. I am going to read just a few paragraphs just to give you a, a jolt. Uh, of the preface, which is even preface. I love that. I have to love you know, the, the preface uh, has a title. It is deep in the mine, and here is a small portion of it. Okay? Okay. He had just wiggled out of his undercut and was standing out in one of the broader avenues so he could stretch out before he set his charges. He heard a loud whomp, then felt a rush of air, then heat that grew more and more intense, then saw a wall of white light moving right at him. It burned him to death almost instantly, turning his denims to ash and blistering every bit of exposed skin, which smoldered first and then broke into flame 
when the heat ignited the fat. He would be dead before he realized what was happening. That was a great blessing. Sixty-two other men would die with him, but none of them as quickly. Some would be found without a mark on their bodies, killed by the gas. Some were blasted down where they stood and slain by the concussion. It took days to find all the bodies. Widows and children waited at the mouth of Cole Man for any word about their loved ones. But nothing came out of that place that day but sad news and the occasional exhausted rescue worker carrying gear and nothing else. Why it happened was anybody's guess. It would take a good deal of time, long after the burials and even much of the grieving, to answer that question. The novel then proceeds, ladies and gentlemen, to attempt uh, through some very compelling characters to answer that very question. Charlie, that's really, really, really fine writing. Take a com- take a compliment. Thank you. I it, figured I had to get people into it. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, that that does indeed drag them into it. I would like you, my friend, to describe because uh, I, I I I ever it's not a spoiler alert, but I don't want to spoil anything about this. You have some very interesting characters. Uh, how do they go about trying to get to the bottom of this? Well, the, the there's a team headed by a guy named Edward Finn in Harrisburg, who has a deputy who's the only woman ever in mine inspection, and then a Romanian immigrant who was an expert in mining in Europe, and a couple of other people, including a state trooper who provides law enforcement. But what they do is they go, these people are sent to the scene of accidents, and they have to find out what caused them. Mm-hmm. In the cases that we're dealing with in this book, they're egregious big accidents that kill people by the hundreds. Yeah, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on them. But I want to tell you that the the impetus for this this came from the Sondman disaster in Portage, Pennsylvania, in 1940, and that number 63 is important because that's the number of people who were killed mm. in that explosion. Mm. And I got way into the investigations and records of that to find the details I needed to create the narrative for this. Mm. Was it, uh, did you, when you, when you created, because we don't do that in, uh, in print journalism, did you, what was your association? What did you feel about the characters that were manifestations of your own imagination? Did you feel close I to like, the... Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, they're like... Uh, Rick, they become pals. Yeah. You begin to know about their personalities and you build them. And, I mean, Valerie Miller, who's the woman, I can see her in my when I close my eyes. I mm. know what she looks like. I know how she moves, which is an important part of why everybody wants to be with her. And I know what these guys are like that I'm talking about. Anders Apostle from Transylvania. I mean, I don't know why I picked a Transylvanian lignite miner, but I did. You know? mm-hmm. And I got into that and, and was able to create its personality by having them come to the United States on Leviathan, which was this yeah, 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 ship yeah. That was used for troops, you know? And you, you tell the story about how he worked there and what he did there. I just, I know them, and I know them so well. I don't want to let them go. It was hard to end the book because I figured I'm not going to be visiting with any of these people anymore. But. Um, that's not true because you keep thinking about them. And I thought, well, maybe there's a string of novels here about investigators. I just don't know. Huh. But 
um, they're that compelling for me. Yeah, they're compelling for anybody who reads the book too. I mean, I think there are going to be people who want this book back. What have who 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 was your first reader? You know, we we spent much of our, our so-called creative lives dealing with uh, editors of various uh, style and uh, talent and intelligence. Uh, who did you bounce this off? I, I'm so curious about who. You might have said your wonderful wife or your kids said, hey, I'm, I'm writing a novel. You want to read this first chapter? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Um, I gave it to my brother mm-hmm. in New Jersey. who's an artist, a painter. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, grew up in the same life that I grew up in. And I figured if, if, yeah. I could, if I could have him read it and tell me what it was about, then I'd done what I had to do. He found one problem. He said that my... The prices that I put on lunches for 1930 were way too high. <laughs> so they would have gotten their food a lot cheaper. And that's what he noticed in the whole, and this is a 105,000-word book, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was yeah. pretty tickled with that. And then I had some other journalist friends. I had Tim McNulty, if you remember. From oh, movie. sure, sure, sure. He, he, a great friend of mine. He got a good look at it. And Tom Farrick from the Philadelphia Inquirer in Philly was another good friend. He got a look at it, too. And I asked them, basically, tell me, does this read? Yeah. And that's what they told me in return. And then, then I went to a guy at Northwestern who's a professor of novel writing, and I, I gave it to him. I said, look at this. And he does this kind of work, but he charges money. And I said, I don't have any money. Just read this. <laughs> Do this as a favor. I had a heart attack. I had a heart attack. Do this as a favor. That's to right. Me. I was dead. Stop this. You know? <clears throat> so he... he kindly agreed to do it and then he came back and said this is terrific he said you, this is a great book he said you should get a new york agent and i thought that was like the kiss of death for me because i have yeah. no yeah. i have no way of doing that kind of thing i had an agent in new york and he said we don't like coal mining books yeah. so that was it but but um that's what the guy from northwestern said and i knew after i had these friends and this guy giving me that feedback that this would work Yep. Um, so, and so I decided I would self-publish. It's not that expensive. No. The books are pretty high quality, you know, and it's, you, know, you don't want to get into a situation where you decide to make your life self-publishing because that could be very frustrating. But this one fit the, fit the pattern. Um, I think so. I think it was... I think it was a wise move. I think the the publishing business, as you and I once knew it, is utter utter chaos. And uh, I will tell you, and I will send you uh, because I I wrote some time ago about a wonderful guy named Ron Balson who did the very same thing, and his novel was discovered. uh, It was a novel of the Holocaust, which he did not was never Mm. a part of. I'll send you this. Yeah, you'll be you'll be emboldened by this uh, by story. He, he now is a best-selling. He was discovered by an editor at uh, I can't remember exactly Penguin or something who said, "I want to see your other books," and he published them. And the guy sells mm-hmm. sells hundreds of thousands of books. How empowering! I've got to think, Charlie. Not just that this was a. Oof, my heart is okay and my head's okay, and I can I can. Uh, I didn't suffer any lingering damage from my brush with death. It's got to be empowering on some level where you're saying to yourself, well, maybe now I will tackle a newspaper novel or something. Is it, was it empowering just to see your name on a book between covers, your novel? It is. Yeah, it is. But it's not, not for the, it's, it's a, it's a strange feeling because 
what I was most interested in is, A, finishing it, which I did. Right, right. And once I saw it between hardcovers and saw my name on it and saw that illustration, which is done by a woman named April Year here from April Year Her Design, she is wonderful. She came up with that design of the book cover, and I knew right away, this is this is good. You know? mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is good. We had to spend $350 extra to get the blood splotch right, but that's okay. You know? <laughs> yes, there is that's blood on the There is, like, all good books. Like, everybody pays has blood on the cover. Uh, blood oh, on the right. cover. Are you, are you working, are you working it on, on a new novel now? I am. I am, and I, I will only tell you that the name is the missionary position, and it's not about sex. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Christopher Lawrence, he's, and the producer is laughing too. Well, it's it's a good it's a good good title, John. I couldn't be happier for you. Uh, you still playing music? I am. That got your thing that came back. I was completely incapable of even picking up a guitar. Oh wow! And my son is a my son is a master repairman and builder and musician. Said play it every day for three hours and i have and it all comes back oh that's so so interesting you know your brain rewires itself boy i'm so glad i'm so glad to hear that pal uh me too one of the great newspaper men of uh, his generation and uh when newspapers were newspapers i can tell you i can tell you that right now i can't can't tell you how much i miss you rick and how much i miss the tower pre-condo yeah, right. Because we can't afford, we can't even. I, I don't even. I don't know if they're charging people to walk in the lobby. I doubt it. But someone, you know, some. If they would, I couldn't afford it. Yeah, same here. You pal. know, the, the, huh. you know, memories are memories are living things. You know, thank God. Yeah, no kidding. There's I so mi- much good stuff. I miss you, but I building. could not be happier for you once again, ladies and gentlemen. You'll have to get your own website one of these days, like most authors have. Uh, the book. I do have one. You uh-huh. do? What's it called, Charles? Well, charlesmadigan.com it's right there fabulous charlesmadigan.com but the title of the book is a little shorter it is m-i-n-e charlie congratulations congratulations thank you Rick. i'll see you soon i hope i appreciate it take care take care take care Bye-bye. uh what a good guy it is a triumph